Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Thank God it's Friday, bro. Thank God. Yeah, it's been a long week. This has been a doozy of a week. Crypto but prices my, are crashing. Crypto prices are crashing, but my beard's growing out and it looks pretty good, I think. If you guys are yeah. on YouTube, you could check it out. Want to talk about eToro, finally. They deserve to be right at the front of the podcast because they've been supporting us for so long. Uh, eToro started off outside of the United States, an Israeli company bringing U.S. Uh, like assets to outside of the U.S. And this is kind of a big deal because for people that don't live in the U.S., they, they can't just go buy Apple stock easily, right? They have to jump through a lot of hoops and eToro made it super easy. And when Bitcoin hit the scenes, they immediately saw an opportunity and they started supporting Bitcoin as a, like the first major institution to support Bitcoin. And they've pretty much been doing it since. Um, now they've brought their crypto trading platform over to the United States. That's why they are supporting so many uh, content creators over here in the U.S. Um, so we can get the word out about this great product. Uh, eToro makes it super easy to invest the way that you want. Uh, you can go with a predetermined index. You can dollar cost average. You can copy trade a trader. So if you want to be an active trader but don't actually want to do the work, uh, you can follow a trader with just one click of, of the mouse and have your account trade the way that they trade. Uh, so they make it as easy as possible to trade and invest the way that you want to. Um, and they have pretty, pretty cheap uh, rates and you can get your Bitcoin off the exchange. So it's not just a trading platform, but it's actually a place you can get crypto and then custody it yourself. Uh, so if you want to check out eToro, b.tc backslash eToro POV, that's link b.tc backslash eToro POV. Go over there, make sure to give us credit for sending you there. And our second sponsor, Celsius Network, is a great new lending platform on the scene. The, the big difference between Celsius Network and all the other lending platforms is uh, twofold. One, they just have a ton of assets. Bitcoin, Ether, uh, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Paxos Dollar, Gemini Dollar, Dash, like, like Hong Kong Dollar, Canadian Dollar, uh, and then DAI even. And so if you are a multi-coiner, you can go to Celsius.network, check out the rates and decide if you want to lend out any of them for an interest rate. Uh, the rates that they are offering are pretty good. And if you're a DeFi, you know that rates have come down lately due to the drop in the stability fee from MakerDAO. Um, and so this is a, a great place to trade contract risk for centralization risk. Uh, and the, the rates are, are pretty crazy. So like 8.2% for USD coin and Paxos dollar, 5.8% uh, for your DAI, 3.4% uh, for your Ether. So uh, if, you're, if your interest is peaked, go to Celsius.network and sign up. Use code POV to get $10 of free Bitcoin upon sign up. And yeah. That Bitcoin might go up soon. Yeah. That, might, that be, might be a little bit more than $10. Hopefully. Get it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's get right into this podcast, man. Uh, this is with John Carvalho at Bitcoin Airlog. If you guys don't know who John is, he is an OG in the space. Now he is working on the Bit Refill team and is a key member in rolling out a lot of really cool and innovative Lightning Network products. John has a lot of strong opinions about the space and is an insider when it comes to lightning. So I think this was a great episode to kind of dig into what is happening in the lightning network right now and uh, what are fair assumptions to make about the lightning network and 
uh, yeah, just a, a good recap on everything around Lightning and, and BitRepo. Yeah, I really liked this conversation. Um, I think I'm one of the more moderate members of the Ethereum community, probably due to this podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm not as bearish as, as other people are on Lightning Network. Some people think it's just broken and, and just not ever going to work. And I think it's definitely way, way too soon to make that claim. Uh, it seems that there's just a lot of development in the background and getting John on here to get his perspective was, was really helpful. Um, and then we also have this a pretty lively uh, maker DAO is decentralized debate, uh, and I, I actually thought that that was pretty fun. Uh, John brought out some interesting points, uh, and it's actually kind of one of the highlights of the episode. So the first half is all about Lightning and, and using it in Bit Refill and, and how uh, Bit Refill leverages Lightning in the back end, uh, and then the second half is just kind of a, a maker DAO debate. So pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, this was a great one. And without further ado, let's just get right into it. John Carvalho at Bitcoin Airlock. Welcome everyone to POV Crypto. I'm super excited to bring you one of the guys that I've had a pleasure of just working with from a professional standpoint and uh, the pleasure of learning a lot about Bitcoin via Twitter and social media on the podcast. Uh, this is the famous Bitcoin airlog, the guy who uh, who gave the bird to Roger. Uh, really, really been enjoying following following John Carvalho, and again, kind of like learning about Bitcoin and now learning about Lightning from the work that he and and BitRefill are doing. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I just want to clarify, he flipped me off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He started it, right? Did you return the favor? No, I danced. Oh, nice. <laughs> very, very pacifist of you. <laughs> John, how's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, working hard and hanging out in Romania. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you're an American in Romania. I've, I've actually never met any Americans who've immigrated there. I haven't met very many either. <laughs> um, but yeah, I came here a few years ago as part of, uh, I had a business partner that was here and just decided to stay, basically. What's your favorite thing about Romania? Um, it's calm. It's peaceful. It's down to earth. I guess that's more than one thing, but very related. Uh, it's also very inexpensive. Um, and I don't know, I just kind of felt detached from a lot of what was going on in U.S. culture. When I left was like the heat of the Trump campaign. Um, and I was just like, wow, I, I'm, I'm just so thankful I'm leaving this freaking country. There's probably not a place in the, in the world that's more opposite of the United States, like social climate right now than Romania. I have a Romanian girlfriend and she always tells me that the, uh, the culture in Romania is just like not at all what we're familiar with in, in the United States. And it is not. There's a lot of different things. We could probably do a whole show about, you know, my, an American's cultural observations of Romania, but um, generally I do, I do like it here. It's, it's nice. I prefer it. Should more Americans move to Romania? Um, I don't know. It, I mean, it depends on, you know, how you like for your lifestyle. You know, there's there's a lot of things that are different here that some Americans I don't think would like. Um, you know, there's no, all, all of the current, like, modern social, cultural trends, like, you know, uh, gender diversity and, and, you know, identifying as this or that being... Uh, what's the word offended and triggered and all of these things. It's not really, it's yeah. not really any place or, or kind of rece reception for that kind of behavior. Yeah. Very traditional, non-experimental culture. <laughs> Post-communism has, you know, has some effects <laughs> yeah, right. on the culture and it really wasn't that long ago, but anyway, 
let's talk about some some crypto stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said in the intro, uh, you and BitRefill in particular have really jumped on Lightning super early. I would love to kind of get just a really brief background about what you do on BitRefill. I'm sure there's a lot of content about like your history and all that stuff, so we don't have to get into that. Um, and then just kind of talk about you know why you guys are so excited about Lightning. Sure. Um, so I joined BitRefill almost a year ago, um, back when this was like the last, we were at the bottom, the price was 3000 or so. Um, but BitRefill had kind of figured out how to grow despite that bear market. And that kind of continued throughout this year as well. Um, and in 2019, we grew a lot. Um, when I joined was right when we were kind of getting into actually releasing lightning products or services um with the thor channels and what were you doing that, before that or what was, was i Bit doing or, or what was Bit well, Refill doing? so in in 2018 in the middle of 2018 was when they introduced the first gift card um and you know they started with steam and, and started adding a few uh, of the major stuff and now this has turned into you know we have like i don't know 2000 plus different products if you include gift cards and, and phone refills um but you know adding those first gift cards kind of immediately you know it became clear to the team that you know this this was something in high demand in a growing market and so they 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 really started to jump on that and you know starting in the beginning of this year you know it, we just kind of really amped things up more and more each month adding countries adding more distributors etc but you know in the end a lot of people in the company are kind of been in Bitcoin for a while and, you know, following current tech. Um, and when we had the, the fee spike during um, the, the last bull run, you know, that was when BitRefill added some altcoins and stuff. And it was mostly like, these were commercial reactions. You know, people were wanting a way to use their crypto that was less expensive to shop with. And so it was not like a, a thing where like BitRefill was necessarily trying to like capitalize on adding every shit coin or behaving like as you might see an exchange do to have more and more things to trade. It was more uh, almost out of a necessity. And this also had the company go into like learning how to do better with accepting zero confirmation transactions on Bitcoin. Um, that's something we, we do for many transactions. Um, but of course, the kind of real solution here is probably something more like Lightning. And we want to make sure that, you know, from a commerce standpoint, that when we have customers that are, that are from the crypto world are trying to use Bitcoin or any crypto, that when there's another uh, fee spike or, you know, massive, you know, wave of, of adoption, that we have alternative, you know, ways for them to pay and, and live on crypto, essentially. And so we see things as, you know, using Lightning is part of what, what we believe is helping to build out the infrastructure for a circular economy for Bitcoin. Um, and so we feel like that is a necessary technology to be a part of to make, you know, a circular economy a reality. If you, if you want merchants and, and people doing business, B2B, B2C, whatever, you need uh, to have some features that Lightning provides, like high frequency, instant, instant reception, et cetera. Back in the 2017-2018 fee spike, you said you started um, accepting altcoins just to get around the Bitcoin fees. Uh, were there any other strategies that you used to, for just you know, advancing the business? And were any of them successful? Or were they just kind of um, kind of just experiments and really just it was 
the Bitcoin blockchain that was the main way to, to pay for things. So a couple of things to keep in mind are I wasn't with the company at that time um, and they hadn't added gift cards yet. So so during the, the kind of the entirety of the rally um, and sometime afterward, they uh, only were selling refills for mobile phones. And so that that was really more what it was about. And you have to understand that refills actually are smaller denomination for the most part. So you're talking about like somebody in, I don't know, uh, a miscellaneous African country, you know, being asked to pay $10 a transaction fee to buy $5 worth of mobile top up time. You know, so this is an issue that had to be solved. And so I, I wasn't there, so I can't speak too much as to the rationalizations beyond the practicality aspect. Um, but yeah, it was afterward that we, you know, added more products like gift cards and added lightning technology, et cetera. So one thing that I think is really interesting about BitRefill is I think a lot of companies that had more of a spending first um, and, and a merchant processing first type of a business model um, really, really got hurt in 2017 and got scared of Bitcoin. And I, I, I think that BitRefill is one of the few that that really didn't. And you guys did add altcoins to kind of relieve the pressure. But instead of kind of, you know, uh, I guess, adding more buffer via supporting, like really going hard on altcoins, like I see like, you know, the Havens and co- even exchanges like Coinbase's and and uh, and uh, uh, BitPay and stuff like that. You guys kind of took a deep dive in innovating Lightning and pushing that forward. Um, even you know, innovating your own ways of kind of mitigating risk around zero conference uh, uh, zero confirmation transactions on on Bitcoin stuff like that. Can you kind of talk about like that mentality and why you guys didn't like get scared of Bitcoin or try to hedge against Bitcoin, but instead of kind of like try to make Bitcoin better? I mean, I'm gonna guess they were a little bit scared because you know, as a business model the company only accepts crypto. And so if you're accepting Bitcoin and now your customers are saying the fees are too high or, you know, this is, this is a real situation. Um, but I, I'm going to just have to guess and maybe speak for Sergey here, the CEO, that he was just a, a veteran enough Bitcoiner to know that the, the smarter approach, you know, for the long term was probably to kind of work with Bitcoin and work against it and look for the solutions that, you know, the, the experienced people within the Bitcoin tech community were actually suggesting um, and, and take a hard look at Lightning. Um, you know, we, we haven't added things like side chains or other tech, so we, we definitely are, are more interested and think this is a better fit for us. Um, I'm not going to say that, that a side chain is a bad idea or doesn't have use cases so much as for us, we really feel like the, the, this instantaneousness on a totally public trustless network is, is a more uh, elegant design or more elegant solution for commerce. Um, and so that's why we, we, we began thinking, okay, if we want people to, you know, actually take this technology seriously and actually understand this as an option, we probably need to start supplementing this network by providing products and services that help people with the connectivity to it, Um, which is kind of like a new concept, um, an unfamiliar concept within the crypto world, because most companies are trying to figure out how to say add support for another coin. And there are, there's a certain incentive kind of structure there where they say, okay, if we add another coin, we can get that community into our, into our platform, we can add that order book to our exchange, et cetera. 
and capture that liquidity and, and, and the volume there. Whereas at BitRefill, it's more just people that are looking to spend their crypto. So and and adding lightning isn't adding like a new product it's more like adding a new feature so i think that's maybe why you've seen a little bit like exchanges being a little slow to add lightning because the the incentives to add it are a little bit different and the risks are a little bit different can we talk a little bit more about lightning i feel like you've become really um well just versed in you know what where lightning is today and where it's going can you talk a little bit more about you know where you think it's at like where you what's happening with lightning I mean, you know, I should disclaim, I'm not even a developer. Um, My interest in Lightning is more almost like for the sake of Bitcoin. And I do like the kind of problem solving aspect of being creative with using as a tool and seeing how we can create products and services. But, you know, my personal goal is to kind of help Bitcoin and to use Lightning as a way to help build out an alternative economy for Bitcoin um, so people can opt out entirely from the old system instead of kind of morph into it, which is what I think the exchange approach is. Um, as far as what's going on with Lightning, you know, on the tech side, you're probably better off talking to, you know, developers from Lightning Labs or Blockstream or, or even our own Lightning developer. But the way I, my, my, my personal view and outlook for it is, I think that there's way more opportunity here and way more that's going to get built here than people um, really realize. And, and they need to be more, like really creative and, and really open-minded about what's possible with this. And I, and I want to see people actually thinking a little bit more like Ethereum uh, culture when it comes to Lightning stuff. Because Lightning is a network where we can kind of iterate and and you don't need uh, the full decentralized model of you know hard forking or getting everybody to agree. You only need people to kind of share a rule set with you to, for you to break the rules or, or create a, a new area of a subnetwork on the Lightning Protocol. If that makes sense. So, what's been some of the the biggest challenges with implementing Lightning Network, and what's it like to, uh, to use the Lightning Network with BitRefill right now? I mean. Using BitRefill right now is actually pretty easy, in my opinion. I actually don't even think it's that hard to get onto Lightning and use it. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they they forget that it wasn't easy learning to use crypto in the first place. Like, you know, that understanding what the hell a cryptocurrency is or a blockchain and all these things. These things were not any easier than, you know, finding a Lightning wallet and opening a channel. It's, it's really not that much more complicated, if it's even more complicated at all, um, especially when you have like custodial wallet experiences if you really just want to get your feet wet. Um, sorry, what was the rest of the question? Uh, and just with the difficulty of actually implementing it into BitRefill, like technically. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the difficulty, again, is probably a good question for Justin, who's our, our kind of lead Lightning guy. Um, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, an extremely difficult thing. You know, we only have one guy on a team that is like majority dedicated to lightning stuff. We have other people on the team that like help with it and know about the tech and can program, you know, things related to it with our platform. But generally speaking, you know, the amount of manpower and expense put into supporting this is much lower than they might say maybe the amount of tension we get in the in the media or, or, or in favor we get from Bitcoiners. But I think that it isn't unjustified that we get that attention. I think part of the reason that attention is supplemented is that we're more focused on the product side and finding solutions and use cases for Lightning than we are necessarily on just building out the protocol um, from an open source standpoint. 
So how is Lightning actually implemented into BitRefill? Like what do you guys just use it to accept payments or do you use it for other things as well? We, we have, um, I mean, there's several uh, dimensions here. First, yes, we accept it for payments. If you pay with Lightning, we actually give you a 2% discount. Um, so there's some a small incentive there for you to actually try it out and, and seize that discount. Um, you can also deposit into a BitRefill account with Lightning and withdraw with Lightning. Um, but the, the, the biggest part of what we do is we actually provide, you know, services related to our node. So you can buy channels from us. You can buy turbo channels with us, which is a not, which is one of these tech things that, that are creative on lightning, but not supported fully throughout the network, which allow people to be able to spend Bitcoin they receive immediately without waiting for confirmations. Um, and we provide a, what we call a recharge service, which is where we'll, we'll basically pay any invoice that you submit. So this way you can use, say, on-chain Bitcoin to refill your Lightning channel or pay a Lightning invoice to buy something somewhere else um, or, or just pay somebody. Um, so the, we, we think of these as like kind of like a LSP services, like a, being an internet service provider but for Lightning, because ultimately there's, a, there's an inclination maybe to call this payment processing or look at it from a payment processing view, but we never actually have custody and you always have like the the worst thing we can do to you once once we've engaged with you on the Lightning Network is be a nuisance and force you to say close the channel and go back on chain. We can't take the money from you, and so it's really a paid access service, um, which is a, which is you know a subtlety in difference to a payment processor, but an important subtlety when you're talking about regulations and, and legal implications. So when you're taking uh, a customer's money, they have to open up a lightning channel with you first. And so there's at least one uh, on-chain fee, on-chain transaction that a customer has to pay. But the idea is that once they pay that, then all other future payments are free. Is that the way that it works? The gist is, is correct, but your specific wording is not. Um, you do not have to open a channel with us to pay us on lightning. You only have to have a route to us. Opening a um, channel. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you want to buy a channel from us, yes, we do sell them. And yes, you would obviously be able to then very easily send us payments on Lightning. But you don't necessarily have to have a channel directly to us to do that. So if you're already on Lightning, you're already good to go. Yeah, most likely. Because our, our node is pretty well connected. So as long as you're connected to somebody else that's well connected, it's, mm -hmm. you're probably going to have a good route to us. Is it possible to know if you do or do not have a good uh, a route ahead of time? Or do you just have to make the transaction and see if it goes through? I don't know for sure. I think you can basically do a test ping. But even mm -hmm. if you do that, um, it still won't necessarily be true when you try to do the transaction. Mm -hmm. um, so the only way to really know, I think, is just to push the transaction. Mm -hmm. um, there's still a failure rate on trying to send transactions over Lightning. Um, much, much less so if you're using a bit refill channel. I don't mean to sound like a shill, but it, this is a literal like objective truth. Like because you, any major hub on the network is well connected, if you're connected to that hub, you're just going to have a way, way lower failure rate. You know, faster transacting, more reliable transacting overall. And that's because of the benefit you guys uh, give as an LSP, a Lightning Service Provider. Well, it's more because of the benefit of of all of the things that we're doing with lightning like because we're actually a like a legitimate economic actor on the network there's going to naturally be more economically vi you know 
relevant people connected to us. And so because we accept payments, where we have a lot of people connecting to, to, to pay us, and because we are involved in the Lightning Network, we end up creating really good connections with other major nodes. We even have some partnerships with some companies that have nodes. And so we, we, we have really good connectivity. You guys recently opened up the biggest channel ever, right? You put a whole Bitcoin in a channel. Is that correct? We've got channels even bigger than that now. I'd have to ask Justin the current update on how many uh, what we maybe call fat channels we actually have open, but it's something you know roughly around five, and we I think our biggest one maybe is two or three Bitcoin. Um, I, I'd have to check with him to correct correct me on that, but we've done bigger than one. Um, we also recently, uh, this is kind of a leak, I don't know when this podcast will, will be published, but um, we also recently, I won't say with who yet, but we've done, we've done the first kind of sub-network fat channel routed payment where we've actually routed uh, a transaction larger than the current lightning limit um, across you know, a middleman node. So we have three nodes involved in sending Bitcoin. So before we've just opened direct large channels with, with, with one party and sent them back and forth. But we've also now tested and, and done successful transactions actually as a subnetwork. John, I think as the Lightning Network kind of got started and, you know, got going, there was a lot of, I don't want to say FUD, but just uncertainty around hub and spokes and what, you know, what some nodes, like meaningful actors in the in the space, well, can and can't do to just an ordinary, uh, you know, average node and stuff like that. Can you talk about the evolution of like the Lightning Network topology and um, you know how much of those concerns are true and you know what's kind of like the current situation? I'll preface this by saying I think everything will probably just be okay. Like. I, I think the distribution will probably be more than one ma- node, you know, everybody connects to. Um, I think that, you know, the threat of uh, what the worst case scenario actually means is actually not a very serious problem. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and, and play along and I'll leap with you with what I think the worst case scenario would be for the Lightning Network. I think the worst case scenario would would, would be that there's only one one relevant actor on the on this layer, um, and that everybody connects directly to that one actor, and this is how things end up like evolving towards as the end, as because this is if you believe that centralization as a phenomenon is inevitable. Because of the efficient, because there are efficiencies in centralization, there is going to be a trend towards it because that trend will help it survive. You know, against general entropy of everything. I don't think that the the world is that absolute and, and that deterministic that we're going to end up in that way. Um, but even if we did, what would happen would be we'd probably have somebody design a different protocol or an alternative protocol and make another layer and kind of say this layer is actually protects against this this or that problem that ended up happening with the Lightning Network. But I don't think it results in like a bunch of people losing money. You know, I think it might result in like a bunch of people being inconvenienced if that one actor decided to blink offline and and never come back because they'd all have to wait for their channels to settle. Um, But other than that, I I don't see a I don't see a scenario where a a central actor can actually leverage much to do evil on the Lightning Network, and that comes with the same that that's part of the same benefit and phenomenon that I mentioned earlier, where development and and new features and new protocol aspects work the same way. It's a competition 
on the Lightning Network. So in that same vein, uh, what, what are some common just FUD or things that are just plain wrong that you hear on crypto Twitter or just in general that um, you from your experiences have learned just that isn't isn't correct? Is there any like thing that you want to clear up that frustrates you about Lightning? I, I mean, I'll be honest, lately, you know, in the past maybe three, six months, the, the FUD has been pretty unsophisticated and not really even worth, you know, diffusing. It's like Lightning Network will fail, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you lightning network is a token like just like really nonsense stuff that even a, even somebody who's critical of a lightning network just wouldn't even humor um but i think i'd rather prefer to flip it on you you know you're coming from the ethereum community as far as i know you know what 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 are things that you hear that are maybe fud or criticisms uh, I think the the biggest legitimate criticism is that Lightning requires either a custodian or running your own node. And I guess this isn't really a, a criticism specific to Lightning, but just to the whole Bitcoin ethos of running your own node. I think people think that that's generally unsustainable. And but neither of those things are true. Are they? Are are they not? I mean, you could run a neutrino uh, instance. In other words, you could do something like the Breeze Wallet, which uses neutrino technology, which is kind of like Again, I'm not I'm not a developer, but for shorthand, I'll say uh, it's like a better kind of SPV wallet, except it's like having a, a pseudo node. You know, it's not quite as safe as having a node, but it's certainly much better than using a custodial wallet. Um, so you can you can have you can generate lightning channel connections using a neutrino wallet. And that doesn't really actually require you have a node. Um, for, and, I, and I would even then I would love to just say you know argue why why you think that having a node would ever be a bad thing or or something that's not sustainable um i think that's a, a core probably kind of maybe problem with, with an ethereum perspective in general um but yeah you don't you don't need to run a node and you don't need a custodian mm -hmm. to be involved with lightning maybe maybe i should have said that i just don't believe that everyone will need to run a node for bitcoin or lightning to be successful um maybe because of technologies like that, like the whole idea of everyone should run their yeah. own node is, is, is not going to happen, but also doesn't necessarily need to happen. But those are two, I, I see those as two different ideas. Like it, does everyone need a node for Bitcoin to be, or Lightning to be successful? No. no does, should everyone run a node? Yes. <laughs> um, right. These are two different conversations to me at least. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think, and then the other just criticism is that it's just, going to be too complicated, which I think is just putting the cart before the horse because we don't know what the thing is going to look like. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm bearish lightning network short term simply because it's too complicated, but that's just a pretty solvable problem that I wouldn't like put my weight on. Um, okay. But what does that even mean being bearish on lightning? People won't be using it. Okay. Um, right now it's a bear market. People aren't using anything. Sure. So, yeah, sure. you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, the, the market is slow. Um, and so measuring the pulse is going to be inaccurate. Um, and, and I'll tell you that despite that, you know, most of Lightning's growth has come after the bull wave, you know, right. and, and, and that growth, that growth has not been that growth has not been decreasing. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at things like the Lightning Conference in Berlin recently, like, in my opinion, that was like the best Bitcoin conference I ever went to. 
Um, you know, and, and, and it was like, think about that. This wasn't just a Bitcoin conference. This was a Bitcoin conference about a specific technology built mm -hmm. on top of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And like all of the most enthusiastic Bitcoiners were there. And this was a lot. And it was it was a lot of builders. It was a lot of businesses. It was a lot of developers. This isn't just like a fanboy thing or, or an investor thing. You know, this is, there's no investor aspect, mm -hmm. you know, to lightning other than if you're investing in lightning companies, you it's know, like going back to a Bitcoin conference from like 2011 or 2012 or something. It really was, you yeah. know, it, 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 there was a lot of electricity there. No, no mm -hmm. pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know enough about Lightning to have to really be able to voice a, a, a core criticism. How do you know it's too complicated? Oh, uh, from anecdotes that that I've heard. I mean, yeah. So you're gonna have a, a little. I mean, and this will happen to Bitcoiners too. You're gonna have a bias or, or an yeah. aspect of an echo chamber, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. within your own community. Um, but you know, this this. My answer to is it too complicated, I think, is useful to anybody working on tech, including Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And so, what I'll say is this. There is always a cutting edge to technology, sure. and that cutting edge is always going to make your grandmother bleed. Mm -hmm. You know, like that—that's mm -hmm. just always going to be true. And so it's—it's it's like a low-hanging fruit or a cheap shot. Yeah, to it is say a cheap that. Shot. I would agree. Something that actually I think is a big misconception is that you can measure all the activity mm -hmm. and the growth mm -hmm. on the Lightning Network as if it is a blockchain, and even comparing it to DeFi, which is something that occurs on the Ethereum blockchain. Can you kind of talk a little bit about? What is the observability of the Lightning Network? It's not as good as you make it sound. Um, because the private channels exist, you're not going to see anything that happens, you know, between private parties. Um, even when we, if I remember correctly, I think when we sell our channels, they're private by default and you have to choose to make them public. I think we've tested that back and forth, so I'm not sure if it's currently defaulted to public or private. But, you know, a lot of the channels we sell are private channels and you're not going to see that. Um, so if you want an actual, you know, statistic about, you know, what's actually happening, what's moving on the lightning network, you're not going to get it. Uh, I can't say whether I think that will get better or worse. The odds are it will get worse. It will get harder to measure, I think, over time. I would say that's a feature though, not a bug because we all sure, do sure. want, we all do want privacy. So imagine a world where every channel in lightning is private. Is there anything different or new about that world except for the fact that all transactions are private Does that throw any hiccups in the way i don't know i think we maybe want to start being careful with how we use the word private though um like if every channel in the world in the lightning network is private and it's connected to bit refill how private is it you know like bit refill sure has a hell of a lot of information at that point mm. you know private for uh, i guess from a third-party observer yeah it's it's so to eavesdrop on the Lightning Network, it gets it gets interesting because you can't really eavesdrop without providing liquidity. Um, and, and we've seen attack vectors like this on peer-to-peer -peer networks before. For example, on the Tor network. Um, if you look at the Tor network, you know there are many kind of whispered stories about basically saying that most people think that governments run most of the nodes, and 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 if they do. And it's kind of inexpensive to do to do something like that. They would have tons of information about you know files mm -hmm. that are moving, even if you're using you know privacy masking aspects of BitTorrents um, or torrents, I should say. Uh, on Lightning Network, you can't really to to put yourself in between everything is like not so easy, you know, to to be able to spy or eavesdrop on what's happening. 
you have to stake Bitcoin to do it. You have to be well connected to do it. And you're still only going to see, you know, a portion of the network. So it's not actually possible to generate a diagram of lightning network right you can't draw out a topography of all the the nodes you can draw out one of of what's observable certainly what's observable um and you know there are websites that are doing this um one website that i don't know if they have diagrams but they definitely have information um one ml.com has some a lot of information and i think we're starting to see some new ones pop up is it possible to know like after you do all of this with all the information you have available is it possible to know like how much of the lightning network you have completed like you've drawn out 30 percent or 60 percent you can't know what you don't you can't, know. You can't know yeah. what you don't know. Okay, so it could be less than one percent. Like I, I could make a, I, the three of us could make a sub network in in uh, Lightning mm-hmm. where we only connect to the three of us and we send millions of payments to each other every day. And maybe you know you run a, a gig economy website, I run you know a, a Lightning service providing service, and the other guy is paying right. everybody. Right, you right, know? right. What? to you it makes you most bullish about lightning i'll go back and and, uh, i guess uh say i mentioned earlier about how i think this is kind of like a i I want people to think a little more creatively and maybe think a little bit have adopt a little bit of the culture that maybe ethereum developers have um because if you just take the the concept of that this is a peer-to-peer network built on top of light uh, built on top of bitcoin um with monetization basically built in um you can start like you can zoom all the way out and be and start from the extreme of okay can we just put the whole internet on here okay (laughs) or can we put every single network you ever thought of how would it behave if we put it on lightning um and some people are thinking about ideas like like this um that would be an extreme version for me like i'm not going to sit here and necessarily predict that in 20 years the whole internet will be on a layer two of bitcoin um that's not that, that would be a very wild prediction but I also don't think it's like 100% crazy. <laughs> um, and so, but it's, it's how I, I want people to think big. You know, I, I want, you know, you, you have people talking about mesh networking, built-in VPN, monetized file transfer, um, peer-to-peer messaging, et cetera. You know, uh, where I, I helped get um, a project called Spectrum off the ground, which is like a, a second life and iteration of the RGB project for having tokens on Bitcoin. And that's basically trying to get the ability for tokens to move on the Lightning Network. Well, it ends up being that to make that happen, you kind of have to start building DEX functionality on the network because you have to make interchangeable aspects with the with the Bitcoin that's moving on the network to make this possible. So there's this plenty of stuff where if you get creative and you know what you're doing with cryptography and key schemes, you can start designing some pretty cool things. And, um, and that's the kind of like perspective I would like people to, to take with uh, when they think about lightning. Spencer Bogart had that uh, diagram that had the Bitcoin blockchain as la- layer one, and then it had lightning as layer two, two and then layer three, it had like a bunch of question marks, which I think is kind of what you're referring to now. Um, sure. Did you just go through kind of the low hanging fruit of applications of Lightning Network? Or if I asked about what are the low hanging fruit of the Lightning Network, things that could be built on top of it, would you kind of just give me what you just just said? Or are there other stuff as well? It would be part of what I would say. I would say the best low hanging fruit is is top secret and products that we're building at BitRefill. <laughs> you know, nice. uh, that, and to be honest, um, <laughs> in my opinion, I, I could give some other, like I have some personal ideas of things that you might be able to do with Lightning that maybe would be unrelated or not useful to 
uh, to bit refill, but um, start thinking about what you could do if you start adding smart contracting capabilities onto a network like this. You know, you can start automating a lot of things trust entirely trustlessly. Um, you could do. Uh, it, it, I, I am not a fan of doing things that involve oracles. Um, so I, I would say you could start making things like uh, Bitcoin difficulty. It, automated uh hedging contracts and things like this like things that were self-referential in the network you could do some cool you know contracts for and by and, and if you combine the ability to issue tokens on this network or move tokens on this network you can start doing things like die kind of things mm -hmm. again i don't think die is die still requires oracles and, and centralized management so it's not something i'm interested in seeing somebody build out on this network um and i wouldn't put any time into it but these are things you can think of if you're if you're just trying to create peer-to-peer -peer effects or or um, self-referential network effects. So is Lightning the Turing complete layer to Bitcoin? Is that a way to view it? I don't know what the hell that means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think that's useful. Um, you know, I, I think what's useful is to say like uh, state it like I stated. This is a peer-to-peer -peer network. There's monetization built in, and in order to add features or or even break rules, you don't need to fork it to participate. You just need other people to break those rules with you. So mm -hmm. this is a different paradigm than the base layer. Mm -hmm. um, and if and if you're creative and your and your motivation as a product developer or programmer is you know having a lot of tools and creativity and in free free uh, space to roam and run, then I think that Lightning is probably a good place for you to take a look. I know you're not a developer, so maybe this isn't the right question, but when it comes to building on top of Lightning, how does that compare to building on top of Bitcoin? Because a lot of Ethereum developers will say, well, I wanted to do this thing, but building it on Bitcoin was really a, a huge pain because of its scripting language, and so I moved to Ethereum. So does, it, does Lightning building on Lightning Network have any difference like that? I, I'm inclined to say that they don't even compare at all. Um, you can't you can't really build on Bitcoin. You can help develop out the protocol and, and provide optimizations or basically add new rules through soft forking, but you can't really like build a technology on top of it. You know, maybe that I'm not entirely right. Like you can do things like open timestamps and and timestamping and use things that are kind of predictable about the network and build on them, but they're not on the network. They're kind of just referencing the network. Um, so th there's nothing that kind of like becomes a slave to the network in that way. Um, with lightning, it's completely nothing like that. It's, in, it's entirely capable. You know, you, you can really do a lot as long as you can provide some way for, to have enforcement of those rules through, uh, you know, whether it be if you want to hack a, a, a version of LND that where you change some of the code or whatever. John, in a recent Andreas Antonopoulos speech that I actually watched, it was at Blockstack. Um, he talks about Lightning kind of being an enabling technology to pro proliferate a multi-coin world and to enable a ton of different blockchains to interop to like have interoperability, like. I understand that that is a feature and lightning is not like constrained to Bitcoin. Like, do you actually see that happening or do you kind of prescribe more to, um, you know, people will come, you know, kind of come to one dominant money? I wouldn't say I agree with either of those polls. Um, one, uh, I don't think that Bitcoin will ever be the only money. Um, that's for sure. I don't think we'll ever only have one money. 
in, in the human race because people there's always just people wanting an alternative, the option of options, um, competition, et cetera. Uh, even just culturally and tribally, I think we're learning, you know, uh, by by observing what's happened over the past 10 years, that there's a tribal aspect to money, um, there's a tribal aspect to just the development of, of programming for money. So I wouldn't agree with that necessarily. And as far as Andreas is, what, what you've explained as his, his comment, um, I don't, I don't want to go on the flip side and say, I think this is going to be a super connected multi-coin world either. Like, I don't think there's room for a lot of altcoins. You know, the, the value proposition of, of a, a blockchain that is lower security than Bitcoin is always going to be whether or not it's cheaper or faster than, uh, than using a layer two on Bitcoin. And, and I think that will main true, maintain true, actually. I think that Lightning will actually stay more expensive than high risk or low, you know, a certain threshold of lower security blockchains for altcoins. Um, but I do think that Lightning will ultimately remain cheaper than Bitcoin proper. Um, so you, it's always going to be like this class of transactions on the spectrum of security. And you're always going to have people willing to use low security money um, because they just can't afford better. Um, that might not be the ideal everybody wants, but I think it, it's probably true. Um, but there's an aspect of what the gist of what I think he said that I might agree with, which is I do believe that there is a concept where the only money aside from Bitcoin, you know, maybe, you know, leaving out fiat monies and governments, just talking about our world, um, where, where it could be pretty much only Bitcoin and tokens. Um, and the reason why I say this is I, I believe that the actual only utility for tokens is as credit. And I think I, I see something as tether as credit. Like it's a redeemable thing for a predictable amount. And the only person I have to trust is tether. Um, and I, and I, I could, I could foresee um, everybody, you know, major entities or banks or countries or whoever, just all having their own token that is redeemable for something of that is that has buying power um the question is how many things will remain to have buying power over the long term in this whole prediction of how money evolves now i know why you guys have spaces in your podcast you're <laughs> muted by, by the way yeah we, sorry no no try I mean, and cut those out <laughs> are, are the podcasts uh, that poorly edited john well I, I figured you know i should do i should make sure i'm prepared so let me listen to the most recent podcast before i get on the show um and see what these guys have been talking about lately and and i i remember you guys asked amin something and there's this huge gap and i was like wow he really doesn't know what to say <laughs> and and, and i blame stuck, david stuck with yeah me. that was probably my editing <laughs> Um, okay, no, here, I got you. Um, so what, what's like your observation of like two things on Ethereum? One is kind of DeFi and then two is this idea that actually David sparked, which is like money Legos, which is like, um, money protocols that you can, um, you know, kind of mix and match in order to, to do things, um, in an automated fashion. Do you see like, do you see kind of those people like, do you see a market for that? And do you see that kind of stuff coming to lightning or Bitcoin? That's a lot combined there. Um, a lot of my questions are like that. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say uh, I'm tempted to just zoom all the way out and say, okay, why are we using a blockchain in the first place? Right. We're using it 
for censorship resistance. We're using decentralization because we want maximal redundancy to protect us from being censored, et cetera. Um, we're trying to, ultimately all we're trying to protect is a database that stores the values of who owns which Bitcoin or who owns whichever coin. And we're trying to protect the integrity of that database, right? So why do we use this scheme in the first place? To protect that database to, in a way that we don't have to trust the third party that we basically break the third party into a million paces and put it on a network. So that way no one person can control it or censor it, et cetera, or double spend, whatever. Um, so when you talk about, when you say to me something like DeFi on Ethereum, I'm like, well, okay. I guess the kind of flagship example is MakerDAO. Is that, will you agree on that? Yeah, that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but what the hell is decentralized about that? that basically that I can send money to it without permission. That's part of it. But also, so we compare MakerDAO to like a central central bank, which has like what, 12, 21 members or something. And you can't be a part of that. But if you want to be a part of that, you can go buy the MKR token on the secondary market and be a part of the board. And so the fact that you can sit at the table is... And it's and sitting at the table is uh, defined by a market price of the MKR token. That's what makes it more decentralized. And it's not decentralized like Ethereum or Bitcoin, but it is more decentralized than its real world counterparty. But it doesn't need to be as decentralized as Bitcoin or Ethereum because it's not a protocol. It's an application. Yeah, I mean, I, th I feel like that uses decentralized way too loosely. Um, I'll concede that there's a spectrum to decentralization and it's one that's really pretty impossible to even measure. Um, but when you start making something that only involves a couple dozen people, um, it, I don't think you should be using the word decentralized. You're talking about an organization that has securitized its shares, you know, into tokens and, mm -hmm. But they're still an organization. They're still real entities doing real business, try, trying to accomplish a thing, providing a service, whatever. Well, they're are you referring real... to the foundation or are you referring to actual MakerDAO here? Uh, okay, I, I, am, I am not um, fully versed in all the intricacies of how, of how mm -hmm. things are regulated within the scheme of mm -hmm. DAI, SAI, Maker, mm -hmm. uh, who, the programmers, etc. But I think we're all we're all okay with conceding. There's a very there are very central points to this scheme. Sure. Um, yeah. Just just in having an index yeah. and having somebody that administers anything mm -hmm. and having voting, etc. Mm -hmm. you know, this is still a very small thing. It's just an organization. I, I would I would say that, and I definitely think the word decentralized has been totally bastardized and it's lost its meaning at this point. Um, mm -hmm. But the I think it's always worth going back to comparing it to what it what its uh, real world version is which is the central bank which is you know closed doors closed meetings privileged people whereas MakerDAO is open meetings uh you know open zoom calls you, you don't think that the major stakeholders of maker have closed door meetings so if they did you don't think a16z is calling somebody up when they want to talk about something serious to do with their major stake in maker so the the major stakeholders of MakerDAO are defined by who owns the mkr token and it's it's really a question of like are those are what's being voted on going i mean that's 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 it's, it's the thing about mkr i guess is like, my point my point is not to be like semantic mm -hmm. or such it's yeah. more that you know the decentralization requires quantity you know 
and and when you have a small amount of actors mm-hmm. they can they can conspire and what what you really have in your hands is a cartel you don't have That's a decentralized thing i mean it, it, would you do you think that libra is a cartel no not necessarily i mean, uh, I mean maybe I maybe in the sense yeah. that it's rent seeking but like the the whole point of 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 all processes of MakerDAO is that you can be a participant in them, and so like there's yeah. no, there's nothing behind closed doors with MakerDAO, and so everything is is um, uh, transparent, and so like even if you aren't a stakeholder and you don't get to make decisions, you at least get to audit what the decisions are and decide if you want to be a participant or not, and that's maybe that's the difference between like Libra and, and MakerDAO. I, I think that um, that might seem like uh, reality now, but mm-hmm. it's only because it hasn't been tested yet. And it might even be because it actually has been tested and it did happen behind closed doors and you, and nobody actually knows what really happened. Um, you know, like it, it's not that decentralized. And if you start seeing people try to do things that people really want censored with die, then we'll see how decentralized this really is. You know, mm-hmm. um, if, if, if I start having to do something special in order to redeem my die or, mm-hmm. or obtain die, um, then then I, then I think that kind of thing is actually inevitable. It could. But the question is a timeline, though. Like right. maybe nobody gives a shit for ten years, and everybody gets the runs the full course of the usefulness of die, and then moves on to something else, and nobody is harmed, and everything is fine. And and because the truth about the the the, the weird thing about decentralization is we don't know where the threshold is at any time for any given attack vector, and the, that you know there's there's definitely an argument for saying. This is way more decentralized than it needs to be, considering the risks at hand mm-hmm. for a certain tech or something, and maybe even Bitcoin. Um, and that's why I, I, I'm open-minded about like when people want to talk about things like minor centralization, etc. Because what I want to think about is whether it even matters, whether there's actually any problem with centralization right. and mining. Um, right. And as, I would say that that's that corollary in MakerDAO is the centralization in the MKR holders. And so like in one scenario, let's say like you have the three biggest MKR holders hop on a Zoom call that no one is invited to. And they say, all right, let's make the stability fee like 50% or something. And so it makes the cost of, of lending or of owning a, a, a vault really, really expensive. Well, I mean, these three large MKR holders in the Bitcoin world are also the three biggest mining pools for the Bitcoin metaphor. And so it's like, sure, there can be like backdoor collusion, but everyone has skin in the game here. And so everyone is punishing themselves if they uh, do something bad. It's not bad. quite as fair to compare the governance structure of MakerDAO to the governance structure of Bitcoin. Come on. Like, well, I mean, it's a I, metaphor. I get, I get Metaphors I get always break yeah, down. I get what you're trying to say, but like the, the issue here I still think is that eventually there's going to be uh, a warped incentive that will be seized by the players. If when you put Who, block, when you, when you put governance within a blockchain system, that governance will eventually be leveraged against people. Um, governance doesn't belong on a blockchain. You want as little governance as possible to be baked in. Um, the more governance you have baked in, the more susceptible it is to being uh, predatory or being basically a, a, an attack mm-hmm. vector. Well, I, I agree with the sentiment that blockchains should be ungovernable as 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 ungovernable as possible. But MakerDAO is on a blockchain as an application. And so if we're ever going to experience 
what on-chain application or protocol governance looks like. Let's do it on something that's not Ethereum, but some application on Ethereum. That's where I do think that that experiment is worth running and where the appropriate place to do on-chain governance belongs. So you might take this as a bit of a cheap shot, but it's, it's true. Why would I ever build something like that on Ethereum when, the, when Ethereum has already demonstrated a willingness to disrupt an app built on top of it in mm. order to correct the, the values of people that too many people getting hurt? Um, you know, like it, the, with, with the DAO and everything that happened with that, you know, maybe it'll never happen again. You know, mm. maybe Ethereum's harder now than it, to, to fork than it was then. But I think that with ETH 2.0 and the proposition there and the huge upheaval involved with that, that I don't think, I think that's just another sign that Ethereum is still willing to steamroll people in order to achieve its goals. Well, so these are two different governance structures. And so governance over Ethereum and hard forking Ethereum and its updates and governance over MakerDAO and the protocol are two different governance. And so those are generally not related. And I'm trying to attribute that, that, the risks at play where the censorship can happen. The, not only can the censorship happen by being a centralized entity mm-hmm. using a smart contract built mm-hmm. on top of Ethereum and how centralized that is, but you also have the censorship risk of doing this on Ethereum in the first place um, in, in the disruption there. And this, all of this conversation so far totally ignores, which is actually my biggest problem with, with this specific example, is that I, I actually think that having such a product on Ethereum is dangerous both for Ethereum and particularly for the people using the product. Um, it, 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 the more successful DAI gets, the more of a target it becomes for at, for an overweight trade against the market. And so eventually, it's gonna it's gonna have to pop once in a while. It might be low frequency, but it will be it will be a big signal. Like like sense? the price of DAI, like the demand for DAI causes just like mass basically mass liquidation. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's inevitable. It will have to happen once in a while because yeah. it will become it will become overweight. Sure, like finance is always risk, right? There's risk in finance, uh, but I think we would be silly to not build out a structure because that that might happen. Like, uh, there's a financial crisis every now and then, and if we just didn't have finance because there was a financial crisis, <laughs> well, that would be kind of a cop out. I, I don't. I think that something bad might happen is a good reason not to build something. Um, and I think it's an even better reason not to use something. Or well, not when what's bad is out, outweighed by all the good it provides. Yeah, I don't know. What good does it provide? You can you can long ETH more? Well, we should, you should listen to the uh, episode we put out uh, today, actually, with Mariana Conti, who uses DAI in Argentina to escape inflation. I could use Tether for the same thing. Sure, but you could use DAI for the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, I honestly would probably trust Tether more. Um, at least I know that, yeah. I, I would say that, you know, there's definitely a bias in the Bitcoin community towards Tether. They see Tether as a as a ally or shield for Bitcoin. So I, I can kind of see that. I would put it that way, but uh, <laughs> no, like uh, the, the way, it, just so let's be clear, like my perspective on Tether is not, I wouldn't word it that way. What I would say is people underestimated and misunderstood why Tether was successful and why it is successful and why people use this that stablecoin instead of others um and, and the reason why you might see some of the more veteran bitcoiners defending tether is partly because we're defending bitfinex um uh i personally think that bitfinex 
you know, people don't talk about it too much and I don't understand why, but I think the greatest thing Bitfinex ever did for Bitcoin was give Bitcoiners a way to trade Bitcoin without having to KYC. Um, sure, you can't withdraw a deposit fiat unless you unless you uh, KYC, but you can still change your volatility profile at will. Um, and that's pretty damn useful. And they extended that utility into Tether. Um, you know, they saw uh, a need for people to be able to change their volatility profile to fiat, uh, to dollar profile. And then once they did that, they saw that there were even more use cases because there, there are many people that want to be able to have move dollar value or dollar denominated value around that don't have uh, clear access to the U.S. banking system and the ability to do so. And so they, they really found a product market fit for a token. Um, I don't know that there is any other you know, wild success that, of a token for a product market fit quite like theirs. I suppose DAI is similar. Um, my concern with DAI is I just think it's programmed to blow up once in a while and that just, that feels weird to me. And I just, and I just really don't like the, like, I feel like if you're going to have an Oracle, you're going to have a central point of failure. I'd rather have it be one identifiable point of failure. Like, that's why I said earlier about like, I think that the only use case for tokens is as credit. And the only person you should ever trust in a token scheme is the issuer. I'm not 100% sure I agree with your, maybe your vision of what an issuer could be. Um, Because while I personally don't think that Maker is in any way meaningfully censorship resistant, um, I do think that experimentation around like governing what could be a an issuer of credit is interesting and I don't see why that doesn't come on to some future layer of Bitcoin. Like I do think that there could be some, you know, need for a credit token and we could have um, un- like non-traditional, you know, for- formations of uh, an organization that would issue that credit. I, I think that that is something that is, is super possible and uh, you know, even, within the 10 year horizon. I mean, people will build whatever they want to build. And if it's truly censorship resistant, nobody will stop them. Um, in the end, the only way to stop people building bad things or things nobody like is through centralization. And so the risk is really on you if you want to build something risky, you know, um, or, 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 or administer something risky that uses a blockchain. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't want to be like rain on people the parade of people wanting to build interesting or useful things it's it's what i'm trying to do i want to build products on top of you know lightning and, and the bitcoin blockchain um so I, I don't want to be a hypocrite in that sense i just mostly i i i have a, a hesitation and a criticism when it's just like this rampant sandcastle building you know like when you have people building things that they that they either should know and 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 that may, they may collapse or they do know and ignore that they may collapse and build them anyway as quarter of like a performance art or demonstration but that's just your perspective of what yeah what you think is is a non-solid foundation. the only one i have <laughs> <laughs> we all we all think the foundation is great and we're all excited to build these structures yeah i don't know i i feel like there's a lot of like playing there's a lot of like, uh, and this is, this is like the, at the actually very actually inception of Ethereum, you know, the inception of Ethereum is basically Vitalik wanted to do things that 
the developers of Bitcoin thought were irresponsible and unadvisable. And he decided to pack up and build elsewhere. You mm-hmm. know, that, that's like that literally the, the whole birth of Ethereum is wanting to build something that people thought was inadvisable. That Bitcoiners um, thought were inadvisable, not people. That cryptographers and programmers thought were, you know, back then the concept mm-hmm. of a Bitcoiner was much right. less tribal right. yeah. and, uh-huh. and, you know, important. Um, maximalism was, uh, was a fringe thing happening in like a couple, mm-hmm. uh, one channel in IRC. Um, and so it was not really the same back then. It was right, but that, that doesn't necessarily he mean had people that wrong. Thought, Measuring wrong is difficult because you have to mm-hmm. define, you have to agree on what success means. Yeah, yeah. we'll only we'll only know who if if Ethereum is shaky foundation or not if if it ever blows up, and if it doesn't. Yeah. And then this is kind of what I what I want to finish off the, with my last question is like, okay, so you're skeptical with with MakerDAO's censorship resistance, um, and but it also hasn't gone through its DAO moment. It's also like not really had like anything really blow up. It's kind of just gone according to plan. So like. And no, no state actor has come in and tried to like shut it down or anything like that. Like, so given the fact that maybe, and maybe this is a big difference between most Bitcoiners and most Ethereans is that I just don't think centralized governing bodies like the United States or whatever are going to come and crack down on an, an institution like the Maker Foundation or MakerDAO. I just think it's going to be a live and let live. And so like, please, if nothing please, happens, please make a calendar reminder for yourself. Uh-huh. So inter- have me on this show two years from now and, and, and we can both either we're, I'm going to laugh really hard at you or you're going to laugh really hard at me. Okay. So, so one of three <laughs> things will happen. Either it doesn't happen and MakerDAO just exists into the future or it does happen and MakerDAO fails or it does happen and MakerDAO lives through it because it's censorship resistant. But under the first circumstance where it just no one ever cracks down, like when are when are you going to be satisfied about its censorship resistance? Because it'll never I, I simply do not accept that no one will ever crack down, crack down on Maker and die. Like they're they're issuing a security, they're managing money for it's a people. Stable they're, coin. they're issuing credit. Oh, yeah, um, no, the whole thing, all of it, is a security. How how? But security is an asset. So MKR could be a security. I could take that oh, argument. No. MKR. Die, side. How is die security? It's all security issuance, because you're 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 basically backing an administered thing. They're relying on the work of other people to maintain the value of their thing. Like, well, for die, die is valuable because of the value of ether. What's the oracle for the index for for Maker and die? There's like 14 of them. Okay, but who administers that? Um, it's value like various stakeholders. It's it's not really known. It's not really known. Yeah, no, that, that that's a centralized really? part. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, some <laughs> some someone knows. I didn't know, know that. I, yeah, I yeah, didn't someone know it knows. Wasn't publicly known. I assumed it was publicly known. So, well, some uh, of them who, are. Some of them are. Yeah. Like you can huh. go. There's I, I can't remember the website, but there's a, a site where you can look at all the oracles. But like, yeah. who owns and operates them? I not. think in the end, like banks and regulators, people like FinCEN, have a problem with this. They haven't shown it yet, but I, I give it two years maximum before there is like scary headlines for maker um and and if that doesn't ha- and if that doesn't happen in two years i think we'll get our first blow up you know liquidation wipeout within two years if that doesn't happen okay well i think it's just a question of like how 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 much entropy can we push to the mkr token 
if we can push a lot of entropy to the governing token and make your DAO, then then we're set. Yeah, I don't think it's just about the token. I, I really think it's about like FinCEN, SEC, people like this. They know who A16Z is. They know who the Ethereum Foundation is. They know whoever the major players are. That they, like this is, a lot of this is public knowledge. These people aren't exactly hiding. Um, mm-hmm. And they can certainly find Maker and get information from them and, and have actions. The Maker them. Foundation, but Maker is just a protocol. Right. I'm talking about people here. I'm not talking right. about tech. Yeah. Right. But the, the tech can run independently of people um, unless they, we're talking about the MKR holders. No, it can't because the, the index needs to be made. The Oracle needs to be maintained. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to get an update from Mariana to talk about the updates to the Oracles because I'm behind on that. But like the, all of these things have solutions. The Oracle always more... needs to be maintained. It doesn't, this is the whole problem I have with Oracle. But, but the Oracles themselves can also be decentralized. <laughs> Or distributed, or whatever non-centralized word you want. John, we're gonna have to get you back on in the, in a year's time, or maybe sooner. Uh, this was a fun conversation, and I, I always <laughs> like it when when the guests get in it with David at the end. Um, so, thanks for coming on the show. Would like to end. Do you have any asks for the audience, and where can people find you? Uh, my only ask is that I would like for all Ethereum developers to consider moving and migrating to Lightning. We would love to have you. Um, I think your work would be more appreciated and uh, more effective if you consider building on this technology instead. A lot of Ethereum developers just snorted. Hey, (laughs) snort now. Where can people find you so you can tell them more about the migration? (laughs) The great great migration, the Trail of Tears. (laughs) Um, You can find me at Bitcoin Errorlog on Twitter. Um, You can find me... uh, at bitrefill.com as far as the company I work for where we have gift cards and mobile refills and doing a bunch of lightning stuff um, otherwise yeah uh, I have a lot of videos and stuff like that on YouTube if you want to watch old funny stuff but Twitter is the best way to cool thanks for coming on John that was a lot of fun hey thanks for having me awesome you guys can find the show at POV CryptoPod you can find me at CK underscore Snarks David you can find me at Trustless State both on Twitter and on Medium thanks everyone It's a fool.